The finish line is in sight. You know what I'm talking about? Romans chapter 16. 18 months after we began this study, we are about to read, friends, the last verse today of the book of Romans. Now, I thought about spending the rest of the summer in Romans 16 just for fun. But then I thought better of it. Oh, you think I couldn't do it? Don't think I couldn't do it. That's not, no, no, don't challenge me now. Um, there is plenty of truth to draw out of Romans 16, uh, even though it's one of the, he's wrapping up his letter here, uh, and there's just a lot of greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so. Nevertheless, there is a lot of truth and, and, and wisdom in this chapter. Um, but I won't spend all summer on it. We'll just spend a week, just today, looking at Romans 16 of Romans, the letter uh, by, written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome is, gosh, some people consider it like the fifth gospel almost in, in importance in the Bible. It's just there's so much important theology. It fueled the Protestant Reformation. Um, I almost want to say you can't spend too much time just on the theology of the book of Romans. But what we miss sometimes is also how pastoral Paul is in the book of Romans. He actually doesn't write it as some theological treatise or a roadmap on how to get to heaven when you die. He's writing to people that he cares about. Like a pastor would write to his flock or his congregation. You're going to see that today in vivid colors. As I read now from Romans chapter 16. Look at all the people that he names personally. And consider each one of these people was a real, a real person. You know, they had a story. He names them by name. They had a relationship with him. They had a relationship with the Lord. Let's go to God's word, and then let's see what wisdom we can take from it this morning. Father, as we do open your word, Lord, we ask for your blessing. We ask for wisdom. We ask for wisdom and for hearts that want to serve you. <clears throat> Amen. Romans 16, Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sancreia. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla. And Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. 
Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidel fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me, too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister Olympas, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard of your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. And then the doxology, or the final words of praise. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen? Amen. Again, so much could be said here in this chapter about what's going on. The theme, though, as a pastor, as a dad, as a son, as a husband, as a friend, the theme here that I want to draw out is the theme of praise. Look at all the time Paul spends and all the ink Paul spills, as it were, 
to praise people, to thank people publicly for what they've done for him, for what they've done for the church, for what they've done for the Lord. This is significant, guys and gals. It is significant that this much real estate in Scripture is taken up by these greetings and by these thank yous and by these attaboys. So I want to talk about the power of praise. And when I say praise today, I'm not talking about necessarily the praise of God, oh glory, hallelujah. I'm talking about when you pay somebody else a compliment. I'm talking about when you give somebody the attaboy that they deserve. And you'll see on your notes page, there's a few things I want you to jot down as you follow along with me today. A few things that I take here from what Paul says to his uh, parishioners. I know they're not his parishioners per se, but, but in another way they are. Uh, to his people, the people he's writing to, the people that he cares for. I want you to jot just a few of these things down. And think about both in your family life and in our life as a church family. How well do we do this? How well do we issue praise? And I'll bet you dollars to donuts you'll find you could stand to do better. The first thing I see in here is that when I am praising God, I'm sorry, when I praise others, I am praising God. When I praise others, I am praising God. Now, why is it, you ever think about it this way, why is it when I see an awesome sunset, a mountain that's just so beautiful, or some work of nature, uh, Penelope had a little worm that she brought home from the conservatory down in Fort Wayne, and we got to watch it form into a chrysalis, and then we got to watch it. I mean, I was sitting there watching this thing, as it hung from the top of the box, writhing. And I could actually watch the, the wrinkles in the, in, in the worm pop and fill out. And, and, and its little bumps where it had the little spikes, they would just fill up like balloons until it, well, they weren't spikes anymore, until they were just one glob of a chrysalis. It looked like the most painful thing any creature could possibly endure as it just... But then it stopped. It stopped writhing. And, and, and for a week or more, it didn't move. Until one day I came home from work, and there it was, standing this time on the bottom of the box, a butterfly. Why is it when I see things like that, it is instinctual for me to praise God? To say, wow, you are so creative, God. Wow, you are so amazing. I don't think to praise the butterfly. I don't think to praise the worm. Wow, worm, great job. I am proud of you, man. Fist bump. I don't think to do that with the miracles in nature. But when it comes to people, when it comes to people, I so seldom look at the achievements or look at the, 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 the talents, the skills, the gifts of people and direct my praise heavenward. Wow, look at what you've done here, God. I am so programmed Instead, to praise the person. Man, he's got it together. Man, look at that whatever thing that that she's done. You are 
awesome. That's fine as far as it goes, but why doesn't, why don't I just instinctively praise God for that like I do praise God for the bug who changes, the worm who changes into a butterfly? You ever think about that? We could think about that for a while. There's, there's reasons for that. Probably has to do with that first sin in the garden. There's reasons for that. But I want you to consider when you praise other people, you should be praising God. I get this from Paul. Maybe not specifically from this passage, but just, just in, uh, off the top of my head, uh, I turn to the introduction to the letter to the Philippians. Paul says this. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, now listen to this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion of the day of Christ Jesus. I thank God whenever I think of you because of the work that he began in you that he's going to finish in you. See how Paul just naturally goes from praising people to praising God. He does it again in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1.4, he says, I always thank my God for you. I always thank my God for you. Why? Because of his grace given, given to you in Christ Jesus. Isn't that something? When you praise God, or when you praise others, rather, that is a way... Of praising God. Uh, the second thing I see here is, you know, Romans is a letter, right? It's a letter that was written, sent in the mail back in the day, however it would get there, by land or by sea. And when the letter arrived at the church, they were supposed to stand in front of the assembly and read it aloud. The letter, it's not a private letter. It's a public document. Paul is praising these people in public. See, when you praise others publicly, that builds the body. When you praise others, when I praise others publicly, that builds the body. Publicly is really the key there. When I was in the military, there was a philosophy, I think, I guess it wasn't universal, but it was pretty common that you praise people in public and you criticize them in private. There were some leaders, sure, who just seemed to really enjoy embarrassing people and yelling at them in front of everybody else. Whatever. You got your own issues, deal with it, right? But do you think that those leaders were the ones that were the most respected? No way. No way. And if anybody did what those leaders wanted them to do, it wasn't because they respected them or they wanted to honor them or they wanted to improve themselves. No, they just wanted to avoid being yelled at, to avoid being embarrassed in front of other people. That's not leadership. The leaders that I respected the most, the leaders that really changed uh, me the most for the better, were the ones who gave me, who, 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 who praised me more than I thought they should 
in public. Adam did a great job on this, everybody. You should have seen him working. Right? But then, at the same time, they wouldn't be afraid to tell me what I needed to do better, to tell me what I needed to change, to tell me when I wasn't doing well enough, but they would wait. They would wait till they could pull me aside or till we happened to be sitting next to one another on a bus or on an airplane. And they would say, how's it going? And they would say, here's what I see. And we would have a conversation like that. Now, those types of people, I can respect those types of people. Right? I don't know if we do this enough in the church, praising people publicly for their gifts, for their talents, for what God is doing and for what God has given to them. How can we do that better? I want you to think on that. How can you do that better? I want you to think on that. When Jesus was giving compliments, I think, he fi- I think he followed this philosophy on leadership too, by the way. Now, sometimes, for sure, he would yell at people or scold people in public. But usually when he did that, it was a whole group of people that he was scolding. You brood of vipers, he would say to these religious people, right? There was a reason why he had to do that publicly. But usually, when he had a word of correction to give, the, the, the Gospels feel like it's very intimate. Like it's very... Uh, uh, one-on-one, he says, um, what does he say to the, to the rich young ruler? Now, there might have been other people standing around, but he st- to the rich young ruler, he says, you have answered correctly. You know, you know the law. There's the attaboy, but he says, one thing you lack. Go and sell all of your possessions, give them to the poor, and come follow me. And, and, and the man couldn't do it. Likewise, in the house uh, with Martha and Mary, remember Martha complains that Mary's not working hard enough, that she's not pulling her weight, that she's not helping. And the Lord just says to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Others knew about these rebukes. Obviously, somebody wrote the story down, right? But you don't get the sense that Jesus is bringing these people up onto a stage, right? Or up onto a big rock so that he can point at them and embarrass them and tell everybody else how they've missed the mark or how they don't get it. He doesn't do that. But what about when it's time to give somebody praise? You remember when Nathaniel comes and meets him? When Jesus first meets Nathaniel? It's like Jesus is hollering. For anybody who can hear, aha, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Here's a true Israelite. Look, everybody. Right? Or remember the Roman soldier who had the daughter who was sick, and the Roman soldier came to Jesus and asked for healing. This is from Matthew 8. 5 to 13, I'll read the whole passage. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed. Servant, not daughter. I got my stories mixed up. Servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said, shall I come and heal him? 
The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, which at this time was a massive group of people, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. See, Jesus follows this principle too. Praise people publicly and build up the body. Thirdly, this one will be pretty quick, but praising takes the focus off of me. When I praise others, it takes the focus off of me. And if ever there was a day and age where we could stand to focus on ourselves less and others more, today be that day and that age. We are me monsters. We are obsessed with how this makes me feel, with how others think about me, with with my Instagram photos and just getting the perfect shots, with my, my social media feeds and how many likes and follows and friends and how much attention I'm getting. And if I don't get enough attention, I feel worthless. And when I do get more attention and more likes, boy, I feel like puffed up inside. What is up with that? We are me monsters praising somebody else. Now, there's a way to praise somebody else. There's a way to praise somebody else that is selfish. You probably know people who do that, or, or I shouldn't, you've probably done this, where you give a compliment hoping to receive one back. Oh, those shoes look so nice. You really want them to notice the new ones you just got the other day, Right? Or you give somebody a compliment because you want them to think highly of you or think better of you, to be your friend. There's a way to praise others that is self-centered. But truly praising others, noticing what God is doing in somebody else, telling them about that publicly, praising God for it, that gets the attention off of you. That gets the focus off of you. On to the other person and on to God. And if there's ever a time we could stand to do that more, it's today. And then lastly, and we could probably go on, I don't know, lastly, but the, the fourth one that I have, anyways, you can probably come up with more, is that both giving praise and withholding praise is an exercise of power. Think about that. You can choose to give praise, but choosing to not give praise to somebody is still a choice. 
it's still an exercise of power. Some of you think you don't have very much power. Maybe kids in the room here think you don't have very much power. Kids, you do have a lot of power. Kids, I tell you what, you think about your brother or your sister, and you give them a compliment. You tell them something you love about them. You tell them something that they did that was really, really great. Do you think, how's that going to make them feel? How's that going to make them feel? Good, yeah. Don't you think? Don't you think so? It's going to make them feel great. That's power. That's power. And if you don't give them the compliment, if you don't praise them, you're absolutely using power as well, but you're withholding it. You're withholding it. Every single one of us has power. Power to praise God by praising others. Power to build up the body, whether it's your family or whether it's this church family, to build up the body by praising people publicly. And I want to challenge us today to use the power that God's given you. Steward it. He's given you money. You want to steward that wisely. He's given you power, relational power. And I want you to steward that wisely too because I tell you what, there have been far too many sons and daughters standing over caskets. Standing over caskets, grieved not only because they've lost mom or dad, but grieved because they're never going to get what their heart wanted most. They're never going to hear him say, I love you. They're never going to hear him say, I'm proud of you. They're never going to hear her say, you're good enough. You are beloved. You are blessed. You are my, any of the things that children yearn to hear from their parents. Don't take that power with you to the grave. Use it. Use it liberally. And God will bless you. God will bless you. (laughs) 